Welcome to Mortgage Space. I'm your host, Alan Medeiros, and today I want to talk about student loans. And we have a special guest, my partner in crime, if you will, Mr. Mike George, the principal, and his wife, uh, Mike and Sherry George, own Agape Mortgage. And I'm just so proud to call this uh, gentleman here my boss, but more importantly, uh, a production partner. And uh, I want to give some quick insight to what I understand, and obviously I've been here for a couple of years now, almost, what, 10 years already, Mike? Yeah, so... (laughs) Um, you guys started this branch in 2004, right? Correct. And you got in the industry in 2002? That's correct. Yeah, so almost the same time I got in. And uh, w- what brought you to bringing Agape Mortgage to fruition? Well, when Sherry and I decided to get into this industry, we wanted to do a little differently than most people. And we got in this business to help people. So we felt by bringing the Agape name into our mortgage company, that would hold us to a higher standard on how we treated people. Absolutely. And you know, that's one of the things that I've always been fond of is the fact that we do have a different type of foundation for the things we do and how we uh, address our loans and really do focus on serving others. And you know, I'm really proud to say that between the two of us, we have over 30 years of mortgage lending experience or over 60,000 hours of um, you know, time in this industry and well over $300 million in closed volume. So we've helped a couple of people in our years, haven't we? Yes, and a little gray hair. And a look, <laughs> I think I've grown a lot more than you, Mike, to be honest with you. Well, uh, the discussion today is going to be on student loans. And I kind of want to give a, a little background and some research that I've done. Currently, we are seeing more and more applications that come to the table with the challenge of having student loan debt. Now this could be personal debt taken on by the actual applicant or debt that's taken on because a parent has co-signed or signed for a parent plus type of loan. Regardless of how that debt is um, appearing on the credit, we have to consider it. And I want to address that very specifically on how this affects our overall underwriting guidelines and how we have had to be dynamic as banks to address this because it's becoming more and more prevalent on the credit reports we see. Across the country, on average, student loan debt is around $37,000 per individual. And that's an average, which means we have some that are lower, but some that are much, much higher. And overall, the country's student loan debt has eclipsed $1.5 trillion. That's with a T, listeners. (laughs) $1.5 trillion. And that debt is not going anywhere. Uh, If anything, I think it's going to increase over time. So a mortgage lender has a unique responsibility. That is number one, to lend money to borrowers that can afford to repay that debt, but also to provide housing for people that want to start families or to put themselves in a safe, secure position where they can start building equity and have a long-term asset. Because of that, mortgage lenders have to kind of adjust their guidelines based off of what happens around them. Because obviously a mortgage lender doesn't state, well, every person comes to the table is going to have $35,000 of debt, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know that. Some come with no debt and others come with a tremendous amount of debt. So we have to uh, use prudence and underwriting standards, but also common sense in how we're going to manage these things. So let's go ahead and talk real quickly about student loan debt and the difference between forbearance and deferred liabilities. So for a lot of the listeners on this podcast, they may have a student loan that may have an in-school deferment, means they're actively going to school and there are no required payments during that time. 
and a forbearance, which means that you may not be in school, but you're asking for them to defer those payments. And there is a difference. There are certain types of loans that even though they're in deferment or forbearance, may or may not be accruing interest during that time. So loans that currently uh, accrue interest during the deferment or forbearance period are direct subsidized loans, uh, pardon me, that do not require uh, interest recruitment are direct subsidized loans, subsidized federal Stafford loans, federal Perkins loans, and subsidized portions of direct consolidation loans, and subsidized portions of FFEL consolidation loans. Those loans that do have interest accruing during those deferment periods are direct unsubsidized loans, federal Stafford loans, direct plus loans, federal family education loans, or the FFEL plus loans, the unsubsidized portion of direct consolidation loans, and the unsubsidized portion of FFEL consolidation loans. So with that said, these loans that we are looking at are either accruing interest or they're not accruing interest. And that's one of the fear factors I think banks take on is, is this debt is gonna grow over time, right? So we have to address this, and how do we do that? We now have some written guidance, and I wanna discuss that about how student loans are calculated as far as qualifying standards. So in this section we're going to discuss how student loans are used and calculated between the different types of loans of FHA, VA, USDA, Freddie Mac loans, and Fannie Mae loans. So Mike, can you spend some time discussing how on FHA loans we calculate the debt liability to a consumer for student loans? You bet, thank you Alan. Uh, on FHA loans, one of the unique factors of those are the fact that um, you have to use, regardless of whether the loan's in deferment or not, you have to qualify the bar with a payment. And so with the FHA loan, the requirement is that you use 1% of the outstanding balance or what the payment is on the credit report, whichever is greater. So regardless whether that loan is in deferment or not, or whether it's in repayment or not, we have to take that loan payment in consideration when we're uh, qualifying those borrowers. Yeah, and 1% can be a pretty large number. Uh, for example, if we had the average student loan debt of $37,000, that's an extra $370 we have to use as a monthly obligation for qualifying. And for every dollar that's used as an, a debt that shows on credit, it reduces the amount of mortgage qualification for financing. Yeah. So let's move on from the FHA now to the VA. So Veterans Administration loans have a unique way of looking at this. And one thing I've learned over the last 15 years about working with the VA is they are very specific, <laughs> very calculated, and they do so because they have had the highest level of success, meaning they have the lowest rate of default among most all loans that are out in the marketplace because they take into consideration something called a residual which is basically money left over that they know per family member that you need to have in order to adequately care for your family. And I kind of wish that the other loans that we had were set up like that, but uh, they're not. So we have these features that benefit us, but also it's a huge thank you to our veterans for their service to our country to give them 100% financing with no monthly mortgage insurance. And uh, if they have a VA disability rating, that waives the funding fee, they may not even have that finance into their loan. So it's a, it's a huge benefit. So let's uh, spend a little time talking about how to calculate student loan monthly payments. 
So there was some clarification to the guidelines in January of 2017 that basically stated when a veteran has a student loan and they have written evidence that the student loan debt will be deferred for at least 12 months beyond the date of the closing, a monthly payment's not needed for consideration. So that is a benefit for the consumer purchasing that is a veteran. But if a veteran loan okay, has a student loan that will begin payment 12 months from the time, then the lender needs to use a calculation. This calculation is pretty simple. It basically takes the total balances of the student loan, it multiplies it by 5%, and you take that result divided by 12. So for an example, if we had $40,000 worth of student loan and we multiplied that by 5%, that would give you $2,000. If you took that $2,000 divided by 12 months, your monthly qualifying obligation would be $166. So for that same student loan debt on a VA loan, instead of paying $400 as the monthly qualifying, like on FHA, we could use that calculation, which is 166. So that is a, a nice benefit, and it creates some margin for that veteran to be able to purchase either more home or live more conservatively from a calculation. The VA does, however, require, if there is a higher payment than that, some documentation in the file to create some support for the payment that was used. So moving on, uh, Mike, can you cover how USDA calculates the student loan debt? Absolutely. USDA, uh, which is a type of loan for rural areas of our county, uh, typically with a population of 25,000 or less, but they're very unique loans as well. They are 100% financing for our borrowers that qualify as well. But the impact of the student loans are very similar to FHA. Uh, we have to use the greater of 1% of the loan balance or the payment that is on the credit report. And it's our responsibility to do that calculation to make sure we're using the right one for their qualification purposes. And if we have one of those two items, then no other documentation is really necessary. Yeah. And one of the things about USDA that kind of stands out to me is it does have income limitations, but it also offers a lot of benefits, I would say. And student loan calculation like this is a benefit to them if they're purchasing in areas that are served by the USDA rural uh, program itself. So now we move out of the government-insured arena, which was mm -hmm. the FHA, VA, and USDA. Now we move on to the conventional loans. There's an interesting dis discussion that I've had with some other um, loan professionals, and it's interesting that Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae are somewhat competitors to each other, and you can see their guidelines somewhat mirror each other in most cases, but definitely not in this particular calculation. So I wanna go ahead and talk about Freddie Mac's calculation of student loans. Now, Freddie Mac offers financing up to 97% or 3% down, and a lot of times our first-time home buyers will get that 3% down option uh, with reduced out-of-pocket, higher loan-to-value, but student loans come into play because we have to use that in their debt to income ratio. So here's how the calculation is used. For student loans that are currently in repayment, we have to calculate the use of the greater of the monthly payment reported on the credit report or a half percent of the original loan balance or the outstanding loan balance as reported on the credit report, whichever is greater, right? If you have a student loans in deferment or forbearance, the student loans themselves have a monthly payment that might be reported on the credit report, we can use that, or 
1% of the original loan balance or the outstanding balance as reported in the credit report, whichever is greater. Now note, in majority of the scenarios we've discussed, it's the greater of. Because I think that the bank is wanting to let you know, hey, listen, this, this debt's going to come due eventually. You can't just keep <laughs> kicking the can down the road. But there's something interesting that Fannie Mae did, so we'll talk about that in a bit. If the borrower qualifies with the student loan forgiveness programs, they have a cancellation or discharge based off of employment contingent repayment programs. Excuse me. Um, this could be something that, say, your employer allows you to reduce the total amount owed or you have some type of benefit because you work for a institution that will wipe out some of your contingent loan items. Um, you can use the student loan payment that's on there or the 10 months or less payments if it's going to be less than 10 months before the balance is paid off. But you have to have proof that you're enrolled in that program and that you will be able to fulfill those terms. So documentation is key. I know that you and I have discussed this in the past. It's not what I think, it's what I can prove, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So let's move on to the last piece. This is the Fannie Mae loans. And this is, um, I would say, a, a huge value add and a recent change within the last 12 months in how student loans are looked at. So if a student loan for Fannie Mae loans have a payment that's reported on their credit report, and let's just say it's zero dollars, the borrower can qualify with zero. Or if they have an income-driven payment plan or an IBR, which is income-based repayment plan, and they have documentation to support it and the payment is zero, then we can use zero as the monthly payment. But here's the key point. You need to have some documentation in the file to support that. Now, we've discussed this in conference calls, but an IBR, IDR is something that is usually revisited every year. And the reason why they do that is they want to make sure that if you are able to contribute to paying off this debt, they would want you to do so. It's a huge <laughs> thing, right? So. We have seen, um, well, let me ask this question, it's really kind of off the top of them, but have you seen large amounts of student debt on a credit report? Absolutely. And right. What's one of the higher ones that you've seen that kind of throw you off when you first see it? Well, usually it's an attorney or a doctor, yeah. and I've seen them over $100,000. Yeah. So most recently I've seen one just under $290,000. Mm. Now this is a PhD that finished their degree, but because this person was new to the industry and had just started their career, the income-driven repayment plan was zero dollars. Mm -hmm. Which, benefit. from a qualifying standpoint, Fannie Mae was the only program that allowed us to use what was showing on the income-driven repayment plan. And uh, that would have been the difference between having to use $2,900 on $290,000 owed versus $0, which is a significant difference in house that you can qualify for. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not going to revisit this, because obviously they will, but it, it kind of uh, does allow them to uh, wait until that happens again. If there are deferred student loans or the loans are in forbearance, the payment equal to 1% of the outstanding student loan balance or a fully amortized payment can be used. So. It really depends on what shows up on the credit. We've had situations where there's like a, a dash, there's no payment at all, right? Mm -hmm. And you have a balance. So in those situations, we're called to get what? A credit supplement. You betcha. Yeah. And as frustrating as it is for a consumer not to get an answer at the time we're sitting down with them, I think we're doing this for the mutual benefit of the consumer as well as the bank. 
Yeah. So, Mike, are there any things that you think that the listeners of this podcast should know about student loan debt or your experiences with it and maybe how they can address these things before coming to apply for a home loan? Well, I think one of the things that probably isn't talked about as much when they go get their student loan is the fact that how it can impact them in their credit worthiness in the future. And so if they got some good education, understanding that these debts will have to be addressed, they'll have to be utilized for qualifying for anything they get financing terms on, that way they can be better prepared and understand what they need to do in order to do that. Yeah, and I think it's a, a good idea prior to going to visit your loan officer, if you can gather together the financial paperwork that you signed when you received that loan, uh, they're called notes, right? <laughs> that helps us too, because if there's documentation within there that is easier to obtain versus trying to get a credit supplement, we would prefer to have as much information on the front end because our responsibility is to educate them let them have the information so they know exactly the steps we're taking. We're not guessing at this. It provides us with a better opportunity to serve them more effectively, but also create value because they need to know whether it be now that they qualify or in the future that they have opportunities, but they need to know what they're up against. Um, I think that one of the things that I've seen more often than not recently has been student loan debt that has been taken on by the parents. And when they sign these notes, they're doing so because they love their children, not because they necessarily want to take on the debt themselves, but <laughs> sure. it could affect them in the future. Yeah. So uh, a note to all parents listening to this podcast, uh, if you have the opportunity to read the paperwork before signing it, better. If you can be in second position versus primary as a co-signer for that student loan, that is also advisable. And the reason being is because if the student is the one as the primary, we may have an opportunity in the future to document that they are responsible for those payments and not you personally. So is there anything we discussed that maybe you think we should clarify or? No, I think, I think just the, the subject matter is bringing this up and, and talking about how student loans can impact you in qualifying um, is, is very valuable and, and it allows you to plan ahead so you understand that if you have student loans yourself or you've co-signed for student loans that it potentially can affect you in one manner or another when you're qualifying for something. Yeah, but also doesn't mean that you're not qualifiable for a home loan either. Correct. We just need to have as much information to help you make a qualified decision and help the bank to make a good decision as well. So thank you so much, Mike. Uh, we, this went actually fairly quick. We went through a lot of information in a short amount of time. If you guys have questions, please, we're here as a, as a resource to serve you. Please give us a call, 661-324-2427, 324-AGAPE. Thank you so much, Mike, for your time, and until next time.